thinking of starting a podcast? Well, try Anchor. It's free, easy to use, and its creation tools allow you to record and edit directly from your phone or computer. It'll even take care of distribution for you with a single tap so you can be heard on platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Also, Anchor is the only place you can publish video podcasts directly to Spotify. Man, you can even make money using Anchor in a couple of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. It's truly everything you need in one place to make a podcast. So make sure to go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier podcast. As always, it's your boy Mac. Joining me today is my co-host, Corey Walsh of Fear the Sword, along with Evan Damrell of Write Down Euclid. How you doing, Evan? Good. I mean, I'm part of Fear the Sword, too. Technically. <laughs> I, uh, somebody asked me about what my job is. I'm like, basically, when Chris goes on work trips or when he is on vacation, I'm like the cool uncle that comes and hangs out with the kids and then you guys can pitch story ideas to me i'm just like yeah let's do it and then chris is just like tries to make sure i don't let it fall apart but other than that yeah no but i'm good though thank you guys for having me oh man it's it's really good to have you back on it's been a while since we last talked oh man Corey, how are you feeling I'm doing all right, you know. One day, one day removed from that fun Hornets debacle, and uh, I already forgot what happened. So <laughs> it's going great. Yeah, all we can do is take it one game at a time. You know, at this point of the season, with the Cavs in the shape that they're in, and although I'm about to do a complete 180 on here and talking about taking things one game at a time, I do want to take a little bit of time to talk about the back-to-back losses that the Cavs have just come off of. First being the Timberwolves 127-122 victory over the Cavs. Evan, man, I want to ask, have you seen the recurring element? And I, I don't even know. This is a rhetorical question, I suppose. But it seems to be a recurring element that the Cavs dig themselves into such an early, uh, such a hole early in the game that any chances of a comeback down the stretch, although they have managed to do one every now and then, seems to be coming more and more of an occurrence. Is that something you've noticed as well? Yeah, it really is something I have noticed. And it's weird because it's not what you expect from the Cavs up to this point this season because they are such a fundamentally sound team defensively. That's something J.B. Bickerstaff prides himself in. It's something that all the players pride themselves in. And it's it's weird to think about just how they've kind of had this, this like gradual decline, especially defensively. And just, it's been a steep drop off. I pointed out on locked on Cavs with Chris the other day that it was leading into the all-star break. There was a bit of like a slump, but you know, injuries and things like that kind of play a part in that. And then after the all-star break, still injuries play a part in that, but it's like noticeable, noticeable at this point. So I wonder how they're going to look against Philly because they're two pretty ugly. I wouldn't say they're the worst losses of the season. I would say, that loss in Detroit, not the latest one, but the one before that was probably one of their worst losses of the season. But it's tough to really watch the Cavs kind of fall apart in this. And like you, you hit the nail on the head. They they put themselves in these massive holes, and then they're just spending the whole game playing catch up and digging themselves out. And the problem with that is, is I think a lot of it has to go with the lack of three point shooting the Cavs kind of have right now. Like, yes, you're asking Kevin Love to kind of contribute. You're asking Larry Markton to get adjusted, and he he's looked well at times. But then you're now bringing Darius Garland back into the fold, and that was kind of just the case in point of what happened with Charlotte. Like they have they as in the Hornets have like zero interior presence whatsoever. But it, it doesn't matter when you're trading twos for threes every possession because it's just one extra point for Charlotte. And I think they made six or seven three-pointers more than Cleveland in that game. So that's definitely tough in itself to see. And it's just like they're going to gas themselves out if they keep putting themselves in these depth, these holes, and they're just chasing deficits the whole game. Because, one, it's not going to result in a lot of wins. But, two, they're going to just burn themselves out even faster at the playoffs, just kind of looming down the line a bit. Yeah, that makes sense. Corey, do you kind of feel the same way here, man? Yeah, I mean, 
I, well, as much as every Cavs fan enjoys the Cavalanche from time to time, if the Cavs identity is going to be that we get into these big holes and Cavalanches are the only way that we can escape these deficits, then that's not a sustainable recipe for success come postseason time. Those types of stretches are pretty much near to impossible to replicate in the postseason unless you're like the 2015 Golden State Warriors or something. And this Cavs team is far from reaching those levels as of right now in terms of offensive firepower. We all know that the Cavs defense is the identity of this team. And if the defense is going to keep lacking us in these opening stretches of games, then it's just going to, the players are going to continue to be as gassed out as they seem towards the end of these games. Yeah, I mean, you hear people oftentimes think about the fact or at least verbalize the fact that maybe they should be resting Darius Garland uh, and not pushing him so hard. I mean, even coming off of that, uh, those two back-to-back games that he missed, dude just flat-out put the team on his back. And I think, Evan, you had uh, you had tweeted about that <laughs> in, the, uh, in this last game as well. But that that would not be good for him, you know, you know going mm-hmm. through the stretch of the season. I mean – obviously you want to see him be able to provide some offense, especially in a night where it's scarce, but is it getting to a point in which we are expecting too much out of him? I, so this is tough. I've been a proponent of the fact that what Darius was doing in January, late December, I mean, even with the back issues going absolutely nuclear on teams, I'm just like, yeah, this is really fun, but I hope it's sustainable because this back issue is like a serious thing. It's sidelined him. Like he was dealing with COVID issues before that. Like he's had things just kind of hamstring this overall superb season for Darius Garland. And right now, I feel like the Cavs have to ask him just to go out there and say, okay, we need you to take these shots. We need you to, to provide as much playmaking as possible. We need you to do pretty much everything because. I mean, confidence aside, he said he felt fine after the first quarter last night, but I think there was a little bit of rust because Jerry Allen said, yeah, we have to kind of get acclimated to playing with him again just because they were used to playing with Goodwin and Okoro and Jetty as just like the point guard stable, which is weird to think about. <laughs> point, Jetty. point Jetty. But um, I think they're not – right now they're going to have to lead on him, but you have to think – hopefully in a week or so Karis LeVert comes back and that softens the blow. Cause that's the whole point of bringing Karis LeVert in is yeah. you get a guy who can relieve some of the one, the defensive pressure Garland faces, which helps his back a lot. And two helps with a lot of the offensive production helps a lot of the creation. I, I applaud JB for trying to try Karis LeVert at point guard. I don't know if it fully works yet. Cause we don't have a huge sample size of it, but it's, it's fun. It's weird. It's kind of like just the Cavs brand is doing stuff unconventional and it somehow works, but like that's something in the Avenue that they can explore. I think Goodwin playing really well is something that's really helpful too. He didn't have a good game against Charlotte, but I think that's just, it's tough. And from what I've gathered, like if this Cavs team is fully healthy, you can't punish Brandon Goodwin and say, okay, we're just going to yank your minutes away from you. I think they're going to, he's earned a spot in the rotation and he has to kind of lose those minutes at this point. I just think right now, just because of what Darius Garland provides as a player in terms of playmaking, in terms of shooting, in terms of just scoring, everything you can name it, we we know what he's good at. You kind of have to turn that up to an 11 and just hope that his back holds and hope that he can ride it out until Levert comes back, until Rondo comes back too as another backup point guard as well. And then hopefully you build a little bit of synergy and familiarity and just kind of ride the storm. And that's why I'm really looking at this game against Philly on Friday because – these are two bad losses the Cavs just went through. How are they, like those are gut check moments? Like JB Bickerstaff, like, yeah. Know. How are they going to respond? Like JB got thrown out. He apologized to the team. Jared Allen said he didn't have to just apologize to the team. And JB Bickerstaff had a great quote saying the challenges are coming and they don't give a shit. Like that's <laughs> really true. Like the league does not care that you guys are banged up. That you guys are kind of struggling right now and having a bit of an identity crisis. And it, I, I'm curious to see how they respond because there's a lot of pressure going into that Philly game. I know Toronto's losing as we're talking right now to the Pistons, which weirdly <laughs> enough, they are 0 and 2 against the season. Dwayne Casey's like 13 and 8, I think, against the Pistons yeah. all time or the Raptors all time. So good for him. But like that game on Sunday, if you're able to build a little bit of a lead or if the Pistons and the Magic are able to beat the Raptors and build a little bit of a just a gap for the Cavs, it takes a little less of this onus off them on Sunday. But it's weird. I don't. I, I've lost the train of thought that I'm going with here. But it's just a tangent. <laughs> I, I'm curious what they're going to look like in Philly because it's what it's doing it's, to us at this point, man. 
it really is. It's just, it's fun to talk about like this March, April basketball meaning something for the first time in a while is really fun to talk about, but you have to really think like, okay, I think they're seven point dogs to Philly right now. Understandable. They have James Harden, Joel Embiid. How are they going to respond to that? And even if they lose, do they put up a fight for all 48 minutes? A lot of cliches, sure. But if you see something that looks similar to what the Cavs used to be up until this kind of weird stretch they've been through, that's encouraging in itself to heading into that game against Toronto and then heading into next week when they play Miami and other teams like that in Chicago as well. Like There's tough teams on the docket coming up. And that's just kind of more so what I'm focused on. I answer your Garland question, though. Yeah, I think they're leaning on him a bit too much, but they kind of have to at a necessity just because they don't have much production in the backcourt otherwise. Gotcha. Uh, based on your poll seven with the constantly like engaging with the team, and you kind of definitely have one of the better feels of the team of any reporter out there oh. right now following the Cavs. You, you don't have to say that just because I'm technically <laughs> your boss if you're the sport. It's flattery gets you everywhere. Trust me. I'm a, I'm an avid follower, so I want to just pr- uh-huh. give you your flowers, Evan. God. Oh. <laughs> but um, b- based on what you're f- – you said you're wondering how they're going to respond. Based on how well you know the players right now, how do you – because we all know these ca- this Cavs team is pretty competitive overall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you believe they're going to respond to the challenge that Philly is going to pose? See, that's a tough question, too. Like, Jared Allen in the All-Star game is kind of giving it to Joel Embiid, which is fun to see because (laughs) he just gave it to Allen a few games before (laughs) that. But Isaac Okoro said that they've been underperforming. Jared Allen said it's been concerning how they're playing defensively. J.B. Bickerstaff's trying to remain calm, but says they aren't playing up to their potential. Darius Garland says they're playing soft and that the team needs to just look themselves in the mirror and figure out what is and isn't working. And then Jared Allen also went on the record and said, this isn't on the coaching staff. This is just on us. Like we're not trying hard enough. And it's, I think maybe they can recapture it just because like you said, they have played hard all season long and they played tough all season long, but I am curious to see if Philly's the right environment to really do that in. I mean, hey, if they go in and beat the Sixers, that's a huge momentum shift for the Cavs. Big but confidence booster, too. Yeah, that, too. Because they have Harden, they have Embiid. Like, if you ask me right now, I think Philadelphia has a good chance of getting out of the East. It's either, either them, Miami, Milwaukee, and then Brooklyn's just a bit of a wild card with Kevin Durant back and then what happens with Ben Simmons, too. But if the Cavs really want to beat their chest and say they're the one of the top dogs in the East, you got to go in and beat one of the top dogs in the East to do it. And like, like JB said, and like I just said earlier, no one feels bad for the Cavs that they're struggling right now. So I want to believe they can do it, but they've been saying it for about the better part of the last two weeks at this point, I need to see them back it up. And like, there, there's moments where they do it. And then like Mac pointed out, like they get, punched in the face and get like put in a 30 point hole in the first quarter and whatever quarter. And like Darius Garland said, that's unacceptable. You got to see how they handle that. And I don't know. It's interesting to think Um, it's just Philly provides a lot of different opportunities and challenges with this Cavs team defensively, just in terms of Harden and Embiid and alone. And then the supporting cast Philadelphia has is still phenomenal too. So I don't know if Philly will be it, but maybe that's just, what they need to do to get their groove back and they slowly build momentum towards the rest of the season. Do you think that the Cavs issues are more uh, like energy based or do you think that this is just a situation where the Cavs have basically been doing the same thing for throughout this whole season with their way they're playing offensively and their defensive scheme seems to mostly be the same. Do you think this is like a case of like the, the team's kind of sort of figuring us out or do you just think it's just more of a case of tired legs because of all the players being hurt? See, that's an excellent question because I asked J.B. Bickerstaff about that after they lost to Atlanta where I said, hey, do you guys feel like you're hitting a collective wall right now because you're a young team. Um, like, yes, Darius Garland's playing really well, but historically speaking, has not played a full 82-game season because of injuries. Evan Mobley's clearly hitting a rookie wall, and everyone agrees that he's hitting a rookie wall at this point. And he is still kind of struggling, but there's only a handful of games past the All-Star break, so we can't take a full litmus test of that. Um, I think it's a combination of both though. I do think they are still a little fatigued. I think it's just, unfortunately injuries to key players hitting and all this at their, all the wrong moments because Garland going out suboptimal, we kind of saw this coming. I think I, people can fret over. Yeah. It's 
people can fret over him participating in All Star, but that's like a glorified scrimmage in practice. I don't think it's that big a deal at the end of the day, and it's a good experience for the team and for him personally. But there's that, and then the Rondo injury is unexpected and suboptimal. The Karis Levert injury is semi-expected and suboptimal because he just has a rife injury history, especially the foot problems, which is concerning in itself. But I think just everything going wrong right out of the all-star break kind of just set things backwards. And now they're just kind of trying to regain momentum and build towards that. But yeah, I do think it's a little bit of an energy thing. I think this time off really will help this team. I just think it's unrealistic to think that they're going to play consistently hard, like high energy basketball for 48 minutes for 82 games for an entire season. And then the playoffs on top of that, because they're going to be so burnt out if they try to do that when they hit the playoffs. And I think it's expected to hit a bit of a wall. It's just, how do you respond to that adversity at that point? And I think they have the right veterans in place. I think they have the right coaches in place because like Kevin Love, Rajon Rondo, Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, which is weird to think Allen is a veteran, but he is. And there's guys in place that can kind of help guide some of these younger players and then they can kind of figure out the next steps from there. Yeah. The, um, I, I don't know how much of Philly you've been watching Evan since Harden has been there. I assume a decent amount between their, their past three games that they've had two like against the Knicks. And then their mm-hmm. first game was against the Timberwolves. Do you feel like the Cavs are definitely going to be the biggest challenge that Philly has faced to this point with their new Harden and Embiid combination? Because I'm not going to sit here and act like the Knicks have been some kind of firepower defensive <laughs> force like they were last year. And the Timberwolves, as we know, are they were very uh, fierce in the beginning of the year defensively, but they've kind of tailed off in that front since. So I'm a little high on the Timberwolves. I had people in my mentions saying, like, bro, stop like, heaping the praise <laughs> on them so much. But I'm just like... I I personally adore Anthony Edwards as a person. I think yeah. he's so unapologetically. Like when he brought Chick-fil-A to a post-game presser when he said, hold up one second, I'm ordering McDonald's. Like I was just like, you know what? This kid is 19. He's playing a kid's game. He's having fun, and he's unapologetically himself. He's genuine. I love it. He's yeah. genuine. There's, like, there's not a lot of authenticity with celebrities, which is funny. So I'm personally a little biased. So I like what the Wolves are building, but – if you ask me, like they play the Knicks, they play Minnesota. Um, it's a little tough to really think about like what can James Harden, Joel Embiid provide. I think they're still going to figure it out a little bit. Yeah, maybe the Cavs would be the bet their biggest test. I think if you can get MB or sorry, if you can get Allen and Mobley the double team and beat a little harder, maybe that frustrates him a little bit. If you are able to employ the old J.B. Pickerstaff strategy of last season of maybe trying to get Embiid or their bigs, just like their backup big in foul trouble, because if you can gas Joel Embiid too, that's like a valid strategy because he can't play a full 48 minutes just because he's such a big human. And so there's some endurance issues on his part. Like I have no room to talk. I cannot play professional basketball like him, but (laughs) it's interesting to think. Uh, Chris and I are actually going back and forth on this first Friday's episode of Locked on Cavs, like who would defend who? And I think if you're JB Bickerstaff, you put Mobley on like Tyrese, not Tyrese Maxey, um, Tobias Harris, not Tobias Harris. Oh my gosh. Um, so it's Harden, Maxey, Harris, Embiid, and, uh, it's, I'm Yeah, <laughs> No, it's not Thibel. That's who I was thinking. I just really, it's, I struggle with names a lot. So if you put Mobley <laughs> on Thibel, if you put Mobley on Thibel, you can play Mobley in a bit more of a free safety role because you don't have to like defend him tightly on the perimeter, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I think that opens up a lot of opportunities for the Cavs that they can hedge off Harden if he's trying to drive to the basket. You can double and beat and try and frustrate him and force him to kick out. You have to pretty much match Akora's minutes with James Harden. Like there are opportunities for the Cavs to kind of do some things to frustrate Philly. But I think Minnesota was a good test. They, they I mean they beat the Wolves. Let's be frank; like they beat the Wolves pretty handily. They beat them by thirty-one points. I'm just looking at the math right now, and you can't take much from that. Like, yes, they were down by the Knicks for a bit, and they had to come back. But I wonder how much officiating will come into factor here. I know JB Bickerstaff got hot in the last game against Minnesota because of what, or against Charlotte because of what happened. And I mean, it's been it's, it feels like a long time coming because. He's been frustrated with the officiating for a while. I think he echoes a lot of the sentiments the fans have. But We speculated on that, by the way. We didn't know <laughs> if he was just ready to get up out there and beat the traffic. <laughs> Bro, 
Chris was sitting next to me in the press box, and he's like, "I, how much you want to bet JB gets thrown?" This is before the game starts. He's like, "How much you want to bet JB gets thrown out tonight?" And I was like, "Why would you say that?" He's like, "He's been really pissed at the refs lately." I'm like, "It was just something to get the team galvanized." Yeah, and it it worked for a split second, and then I joked that um, the backup coach could get thrown out too to get him going again, but. <laughs> It's interesting to think how much because Harden and Embiid, I mean, especially Harden is known for the grift of drawing free throws all the time, and you have to worry about that a little bit too. You can't let that frustrate you because I think if you let factors that maybe you can't control, if it's the officiating, because if you feel like the officials are against you and you go into that mentality where, well, the refs are just going to fuck us in this game, you're going to lose. Like you need to go in and just execute your game plan, stay true to what you play, and. To answer your question, Corey, yeah, I think the Cavs could provide the biggest threat to what Harden and the Sixers are building right now. But I, I wonder if the Cavs are need to kind of defeat some of their own demons and fight some of their own ghosts that they're fighting right now before they worry about like, okay, we need to go beat. I mean, that's tough. You need to go beat Philly on top of that, but like, they have to internalize some of their own issues so they don't compound and just doesn't turn into an avalanche against them like it was against Charlotte. Yeah, I think yeah. the hardest thing with playing the new version of Philly now is it's really hard for teams to kind of get their identity going because with all the fouls being called, it just takes you out of the flow of the game pretty much. And you're playing yeah. into Philly's hands like Philly's in some way is like playing 4D chess where it's like our offense is going to be that we're not letting you get into the rhythm game of your play style at all. You're going to like the game's going to stop pretty much every three minutes because Harden or Embiid are going to be at the free throw line. Mm-hmm. They're just going to mess up what they're doing. And I don't think that's getting as like people complain when they talk about Philly more just about the calls, but I feel like it's just so purposeful what they're doing and it's actually a part of their strategy the whole time. Yeah, yeah, it really does feel that way. Um, I think they have a lot of figuring out to do themselves. Like, I think Tyrese Maxey's a stud. It's it's insane. He went so late in the draft, but like, he's a very good piece. And Philadelphia, Philadelphia was able to hold on to him. I wonder if losing Seth Curry is going to hurt them. I, I know people are kind of joking on DeAndre Jordan a little bit, but like, <laughs> that's a body. That, so let's say if you run into Giannis in the playoffs, that's a body you can throw at Giannis to kind of maybe bang him up a little bit so you're not getting in beat in foul trouble. So mm-hmm. Philadelphia, it, it's weird. Um, I Someone mentioned like the Carmelo trade to the Knicks a while back where the Knicks kind of emptied the chamber for Carmelo to get him from Denver when they could have just got him free and see a few months later. That's going to be an interesting like thought exercise. I think like, okay, Philly flames out in spectacular fashion or if like it works, there's no questions asked at work. It's kind of like the Raptors trading for Kawhi at this point, but they're going to keep Harden long-term instead. It's an interesting team-building process, but I think they have to figure out a lot of things, and I don't know what their upcoming schedule is. But, yeah, again, like the, the Cavs are like their biggest test up to this point, and then hopefully Cleveland can kind of maybe put things in perspective. Maybe they give other teams like a little bit of a – example of how to beat them or just find ways to maybe contain because it is a lethal duo at the end of the day. Like you have a former MVP, uh, arguably an MVP caliber player, James Harden in the backcourt. And then you have Joel Embiid just kind of dominating on every facet of the game. And like, that's just such a lethal tandem. I see Justin says down in here that he's already mad at tomorrow's whistle. (laughs) (laughs) I feel it, Jeff. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. We, you never truly know what the officiating, but you can't always use that as an excuse, I suppose. No, that's the thing. Like you, you can't let the officials beat you because then you're just saying we beat ourselves at that point. Yeah. So I, I guess for me, like when the pick and roll game is not running, and we know this this Cavs team is very much based in what they do from a defensive standpoint. That's their identity. That's what we are clamoring for them to get back to. Uh, but just on the offensive side of things, if you were, you know, you were on that sideline, what would you do to kind of get them out of the funk whenever teams are shutting down, you know, the lob threats and whatnot and pick and roll game? I just saw Justin say my homer <laughs> ass kids. <laughs> Cleveland, Cleveland native Justin Rowan, ladies and gents. But, um, see, that's a little tough in itself because we had to talk about it a little bit because they're leaning so heavily on Darius Garland right now. If they're fully healthy, I think it adds a lot of dimensions and depth to them because losing Rondo hurts a lot for the bench unit because Kevin Love has a rapport with him and like they're comfortable yeah. with one another. And like I think that makes Jetty's looks a little more easier too if you get Kevin Love going. But when those two are a little I hot and cold, just start. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. So if those two are hot and cold without Rondo – 
And if they're missing Karis LeVert, who Bickerstaff's sure that he doesn't have a full grasp of the offense, and but they run a lot of pick, like you really notice it. Like they run pick and rolls with Allen, they run pick and pops with Markinen, or to an extent Markinen, but more so Love. And then they can run it with Evan Mobley as well. I mean, Mobley shooting is an encouraging development, but I don't know if you really want to add it to his repertoire just yet. But then the pick and roll scenario there, like you need extra guards to kind of provide a bit of a depth and wrinkle. So this Cavs team's fully healthy. Yeah, pick and rolls are helpful. I think pick and pops are helpful. I think running double drag sets are really fun too, especially when they get Garland just off ball. Like I think those are really fun, smart looks the Cavs can employ. Like it really worked with Rudy on the floor. I mean, granted, Ruby also displayed a zero fear when he's shooting it at any time, but, and it's a different player when you have Rondo. So you have to adjust things a little bit. I think if you can get Garland off ball and get kind of just get him easier looks in the perimeter, that helps a lot too. And I know GB is a big proponent of establishing their presence in the interior because to harken all the way back to media day, which feels so long ago at this point, he said, Boy, we're playing, yeah. he said, we're playing a more modern approach. We need to be a bit more three point hat, like shoot more threes, and I'm like, oh, yeah, no, that's encouraging. He's like, but he's like, people fetishize the three too much. I'm like, excuse me, what? And then he's just, <laughs> we need to establish our interior in the or Damn, Steph the Curry. Yeah, exactly. But I'm like, which makes sense, because if you look at their overall depth chart and just talent pool, like Allen and Mobley are two of their biggest dogs. You want to get them going and then the paint's the easiest way to do that. Marketing's a bit weird because he's just a small forward and a seven footer's body because he doesn't like the post up and he does not like the play. He's a wild card. He's a wild card. He's, he's an interesting player, but I think he does add that extra depth to the Cavs too, because he looked hot for a while because just Goodwin is just like, Oh, let's get the easy looks. Like, you notice a lot of pick and roll stuff with Goodwin too, because it's just, it's an easy play. You can create a lot of different looks, a lot of versatility. So I would do a lot of that, but if you're fully healthy, I think it just, adds a lot of off-ball pressure, too, because you can really make Garland just be like that off-ball threat if you have Rondo initiate the offense or if you want to put Rondo, or sorry, Levert and Garland together as well. Like That creates a huge threat, too. Yeah, the gravity that Levert's going to bring, too, with when he's on the floor. Like, Garland doesn't really have a guard right now that can also do it. Like, Brandon Goodwin, yes, has been good in spots, and Rondo is not, no, we've seen all, like, since he's been acquired, that defenses are not afraid to just let Rondo rip threes, and he's very willing to take from anywhere all over the court. So getting someone else next to Garland, which Levert will definitely be a way more prominent shooter than any and more threatening shooter than anyone really that Garland's been playing with since Sexton went down due to injury. So it'll be interesting. Definitely not scared to take the shots. Yeah. He'll take them. If you're, Mm -hmm. if you will supply him with them and that will help you Cavs really need some of that mentality right now. If you ask me now, if you, if you get a guy with a quick sugar, I think that help a lot too. It just, it's tough because I think, this team really wants to play for each other at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to be that guy who's just like, okay, I'm going to go up and try and muck up a couple shots. But I was asked about this by Spencer German in 92 through the fan. Like it, it really sucks because it puts it in perspective how much the Cavs could use Colin Sexton right now too. Because oh, yeah. like there's times the offense just absolutely stalls out. There's times you're like, okay, you need somebody to just go out there and get a couple quick buckets just to unlock the offense, create a little bit of defensive versatility in terms of pressure, just because like then you get different looks thrown at you. But like, it really puts into perspective because he's so hyped for his teammates and coaching them and cheering him on the sidelines. You're like, damn, I wish you were in warm-ups right now and you could just take them off and go out there and just get a couple quick buckets because that's exactly what the Cavs need. Like, granted, they're trying to get a little bit of that with Levert, mm-hmm. and they obviously had that with Rubio when Sexton went down, but I just the knee injury was unfortunate on for that, but it really puts into perspective how much the Cavs could use Colin Sexton at this moment, because he, he really does unlock a lot of things offensively for them. Let me ask you this, because you have varying opinions on what he is able, like how much his scoring is valued when it comes to the Cavs. Are you of the mindset that the Cavs play better basketball with Colin Sexton off the court? No, I don't. I don't think so. I think just in terms of talent, I, I don't think I've ever really had that stance. I think they played really well. I was surprised they played really well with when Colin Sexton went down with the knee injury, and I had my questions on whether or not this Rubio stretch was sustainable. Because people are like, oh, it's it's Spanish team national team Ricky Rubio. I'm like, that's not really a thing. Spanish <laughs> I'm just like, if you look at his last year with Minnesota, and then he started to regress to those numbers a little bit, then had another spike, and I think the knee injury happened or sued after that. And I'm just like, this this could suck because 
the Cavs are asking to do a lot of things they might have asked Colin Sexton to do on top mm-hmm. of the playmaking and reserving Darius Garland. But it's tough because in terms of talent, like I'm always going to be a proponent of like, yeah, go get the best players you can. Mm-hmm. And Colin Sexton is clearly one of the most talented scorers on the Cavs roster. Um, I don't know how he fits in the overall dichotomy. I, it, it was weird how he's positioned early in the season because I did yeah. notice that people were like, oh, he gets pulled late in the fourth or the he's in rotations. closing games. Yeah, yeah, the rotations are weird, but I think that's a lot of JB trying to figure things out early in the year. So I don't think you can read too much into that because they had to get Larry Markin acclimated. They had to get Evan Mobley acclimated. They had to get... I mean, they gave the keys to Darius Garland and said, okay, this is your team and your offense, go run it. And I think Colin yeah. can benefit from that. And I think with these guys kind of having an established rapport, like it's unfortunate they lost Colin for the year. But the benefit is, is Garland, Mobley, and Allen clearly have familiarity with one another. They're used to playing with each other. That's established to an extent. You can always make it better, obviously, but now you can start to bring in this X factor. So if the Cavs do retain Colin Sexton, which I, I think they will, I mean, he loves it here. The organization clearly likes him. They have him around. Um, JB makes it a point more often not to say like they include him in almost every team, like meeting or call because they just have like an assistant holding an iPad with him FaceTiming in during <laughs> team talks and stuff like that, which yeah. unfortunately is just the reality of the world we live in right now. But I I want to say he will be here. You know, obviously we'll see how free agency goes. He could price himself out if a team is willing to pay him top dollar. If the Cavs aren't comfortable, it's just the unfortunate reality of the beast. But if you bring him back, like I, he makes the Cavs better. I don't necessarily think that he makes him like a title threat or anything, but honestly, mm-hmm. just makes the Cavs better. You lose. I know he's averaging 15 or so points per game this season, but I think that was just a bit of a weird anomaly of him adjusting to a new role and just small kind of sample size, man. Yeah, yeah, small sample size, and the Cavs just kind of trying to figure things out themselves just across the board. But if you look at his just entire body of work, it's 20 to 25 points per game on any given night. Like that's always beneficial, no matter where you put him, whether it's in the starting lineup or off the bench. Again, not going to speculate on that because it's right. not my job. And right there's just so many variables in play too, just of what you want to do and how you want to build this going forward. But like, yeah, the Cavs are obviously better with Sexton. And like I said, it, it just puts it into perspective because I'm glad he's back and around the team. I think it's fun that he's back and around the team. Um, but it really puts in perspective how badly the Cavs could use just a player exactly in his, just, just him, not, not, not even a player just in his mold. Cause I think that's unfair to Colin. I think it's unfair to other players to say like, okay, we brought in Ricky Rubio and Karis LeVert to replicate what Colin Sexton provides. No, just Colin Sexton is Colin Sexton. Karis LeVert is Karis LeVert. Ricky Rubio is one of one. Yeah. One of one. They're all their own players. They all provide something. They maybe provide something similar, but there's different ways they do it. Mm -hmm. With, um, so building off of that, do you think there, there's definitely, you can foresee a situation in which the Cavs end up retaining Colin Sexton and Karis LeVert, with uh, Darius Garland, do you see a way in which that could lead to like the Cavs kind of keeping on the same trajectory? Or do you feel like that's going to be another thing? Like we're just going to have to see them tinker with uh, how they're going to structure those minutes around. Cause we saw that towards the, in the beginning of the season when we were figuring out, like we said, Sexton had like more bench minutes. He was, he yeah. was a technical starter, but he kind of ran with the second unit. And we're now we're seeing kind of the same thing with Lavert. So they're I'm trying just, to figure it out with the coral too. Yeah, yeah I, I'm interested to what you think they're going to try to do. Just like a complete guess. I know you're not <laughs> going to predict. No, it's a really good question because Chris and I are actually talking about this offhand because we're storyboarding show, show ideas. And we kind of pitched it a little bit because heading into next season, do you – because people are like, oh, I really want to bring it back Ricky Rubio. And I'm like, oh, well, people need to realize that he's torn the same ACL twice there could be a decent time he until he gets back to the floor and whether or not he's the same player, we don't know at this point. And then Chris is like, well, the Cavs are probably going to like pay Garland the max at this point or close to it. Kevin Love's making $28.9 million next year. Jay Allen's making a clean 20. Levert, like you mentioned, is making 18.7. If Sexton doesn't price himself out with the Cavs, I could easily see him coming back. And then just in terms of the depth, it's an interesting thought exercise because you could see the Cavs maybe employing a strategy where like they tried Karis Levert as like a bit of a point guard for them. Maybe bring in Rajon Rondo as just like that veteran presence because he vibes and resonates really well with this team too. And maybe you want to bring him in because he's more available than Rubio at this point. He likes being here, which is also a helpful thing too. It's 
and then you maybe you have like Goodwin as serving like as like that break glass in case of emergency. Maybe he gets spot minutes, whether on a two way or a guaranteed contract, whatever. But Sexton could still start. You bring Lavert off the bench, and maybe you pull Sexton early, let Garland play through the first quarter, and then you let Sexton play maybe those backup point minutes, or you let him play as a backup two, like as a two off the bench with that bench bomb, and you start Lavert or have Lavert be like your sixth man as the one, and you start with a bench unit of Lavert, Sexton. Love Osman, yeah. and then maybe a Coro as well. If you really just want to keep a Coro coming off the bench and Sexton starting, like there's a lot of versatility, and I think there's a lot of things Colin Sexton could unlock because I think you saw a little bit of it. Because in theory, the Cavs like running two point guard sets, they like running two guard sets a lot. Um, you saw a lot to success with Rubio and Garland, and I think that gave them a little bit of just like a okay, we have something here. You saw it a little bit maybe at times with Garland and Rondo. And then I think if you see it with like Levert and Garland, that works. Now I want to see how it looks with Colin Sexton. If you have, I, I would assume Levert's going to be here next year. He's on the last year of his deal. He's a tradable asset if the Cavs want to move him. But I think if you send things out, you want to retain him and see how this works. And I don't think 20 ish games is a good enough sample size to really figure out what you have yet at that point. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't work, you trade him towards the deadline next year. But like, see how he pairs to Sexton. But you remain him and just keep him in the starting lineup, and maybe like you pull him a little early, and then just bring him back in as just like that scoring punch, just to help push the bench unit further. Because I'm always a big proponent of trying to keep at least one of the starters on the floor at any given time if you're playing with the bench. That's fair. Let me ask you this in regards to a different player in the starting lineup. Larry Markinen, were you a fan of the deal at the time? Like, is it something? No. Yeah, I was gonna <laughs> say, I remember Evans rant vividly. <laughs> I was stunned actually, because I'm just like, it makes no sense. Have and they then, okay? Well, have the has he changed your mind at least? A, a little bit. Um, I understand. Let's just be frank at this point. I, I thought the Cavs playing big was going to just be like a fun wrinkle, and then they were going to go back to a conventional lineup. And then here we are, sixty games into the season, and here they are still going big every single game. So it's a little bit of a mixed bag. But I like what Lowry provides. I think he's a little inconsistent. I think you're seeing a lot of what frustrated Bulls fans and just folks who were in the Bulls organization with him, where he can be a little inconsistent. Where he is seven feet tall, and when he's in the post, he has no post ability because, like, if he posts up a guard, like, a guard doesn't have to flinch because Laura is not going to move them kind of situation. But there's moments we see him play to his God-given ability, like the dunk. You know, and against Charlotte, I was just like, okay, but why doesn't he do more of that? Or, like, there's moments where, like, the Cavs, he's been as a pick-and-roll partner, but I think just the three-point gravity provides. And like I said, when he came back, I think it was a huge shot in the arm for the Cavs and a good opportunity to get him acclimated is the only blessing in disguise of having him back so early is you're trying to figure him out. Like you're trying to say, okay, Larry, for the better part of your life, you play power forward and center. We need you to play small forward with a kid who's fresh out of college, who played center <laughs> at USC, who has no really floor spacing abilities, but he's going to be our starting four. And then Jared Allen, who jokingly says he wants to be in the three-point contest, but has no three-point shooting ability at this time, but has really elevated and leveled up his game quite a bit. It, that's, a, that's a huge ask, I think. And I think just with how in flux the Cavs roster has been in terms of injuries, COVID, everything like that, it's been tough. But I like what he provides to this team in terms of just spacing because you have to respect the three-point gravity. Like you, you still see it with Kevin Love, and Kevin Love, no one thought anything of him coming into the season just because of the Achilles injury and everything else. And he has looked really sharp, and like you see teams closing out on him. So like marketing in theory makes life better just because it just provides spacing for Mobley and Allen to operate. It's a reliable partner for Garland to work with. It made, it clearly made Brandon Goodwin's life a lot easier when Goodwin yeah. was starting at the point. So I didn't like the trade at the time because <laughs> I personally just was a fan of what Larry Nance provided as a jack-of-all-trades and master of none. But I understand what the Cavs are trying to do, I guess, because – they wanted to add spacing and just kind of push their offensive capabilities to a new level because Larry was very timid and inconsistent from three. And then watching him kind of fall off a cliff in Portland. And then he hasn't played yet for the Pelicans, I don't think. So we'll see how he looks there. But 
Maybe the Cavs made the right call in retrospect, but we'll see what happens. I think the wildest thing to me, though, is at the time, is I learned Chicago didn't want Larry Nance. They just wanted a draft pick for it. So, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, that's that's my little scoop of the night because Max said if you can, you can drop some news. So I learned during the trade, Cleveland <laughs> offered Larry Nance Jr. and I believe a second round pick for Larry Markin in the sign and trade. And Chicago said we don't want Larry Nance Jr. because they're also strapped for cash because they just signed Lonzo Ball. And DeMar DeRozan and Alex Caruso and everybody else. So I understand why, but like I heard that at the time. And then so then the Cavs went out and said, okay, Larry Nance Jr. is theoretically worth a first. Let's find a team who can get him. Portland happened to be that team. That's how the trade went down. It all kind of worked out for the Cavs in the end. But in Chicago, it was to an extent too. But that was wild to me at the time because I'm like, Larry Nance Jr.'s theoretical fit on the Bulls made too much sense. But yeah. We'll see where we're at now, but I hope he's doing well. Um, I talked to him when him and the Blazers came back, and he's just real appreciative of the opportunity. But just being with the Cavs and just how many local businesses he was able to impact. But, yeah, I, I'll admit I was wrong on that. I was wrong on the Cavs being good this season. I thought they were going to be one of the bottom teams in the Eastern Conference. And I'm glad I was wrong because it's been a fun season. It's a little frustrating right now, but like in the grand scheme of things, like this is the season's been an overwhelming success. Yeah. In terms of like a lot of Cavs fans though, like I think we were all pretty much just uh, one part of us was just so tied to Larry Nance jr. Emotionally that no matter unless LeBron was coming back, we were all going to be. Yeah. (laughs) I I think it helped a lot too, that he went to Chris Fedor and, pen to piece saying like listen i approached the team asking for a trade and like i think that really that was awesome of him to do that yeah um, no it wasn't really it really saved the Cavs' bacon too because i remember some people were pissed and saying kobe altman should be fired on the spot for trading larry nance it's not the first time people have echoed that's that fair Lori <laughs> though has done a great job i think he's impressed me in the sense that his aggressiveness on both sides of the ball has been more surprising because it felt like at times in chicago they kind of wanted him to just be a bystander just being like all right stand here and get ready for your three-point attempts and just huck him up and hope for the best and defensively he was not really a presence at all in chicago he was kind of like a turnstile most times and i feel like his deep i'm not going to sit here and say put Lori <laughs> markin in on first team defense but I would say he what? certainly helps. You don't to want the, him on first team defense. Yeah, no. you don't want him out there with Evan Mobley. <laughs> yeah, no. I um, I do have to say though, he has surprised me at times with how he's just willing to play defense more often mm-hmm. than I think the common perception of him was in Chicago. So no, he's not necessarily the ideal player that I think anyone wants playing for the three for the Cavs. But he's definitely bringing more to the table than we were going to expect when this trade was first made. Yeah, man, I absolutely agree with that. I think defensively, like that's huge as well because I was super down on it because he was not known as a good defender in Chicago. And the Chicago thing is interesting too. I think him being injured more often than not when the year they hosted all-star because the bulls really rolled out like the red carpet, just to say Zach Levine and Larry Mark are going to represent us at all-star and ended up just being Zach Levine because Mark was hurt more often than not. And then Jim Boylan, like Markkinen was one of his guys when he was an assistant with the Bulls. And then he just did a full 180. I mean, he did on everybody on the team, but like was very hard on Lowry and like never, he never had consistency. And I think him having like just an established consistency with the Cavs. And I think what is interesting because I talked to him about this is he's like, the Cavs let me just play freely. They let me play how I want to play. Like they don't box me into a specific spot. Like you said, like Chicago, like, okay, we need you to sit on the three point line. There's a way to get your shots. The Cavs will encourage him to try and post up. It may not work, but like, okay, try it. If it makes you feel comfortable and it makes you like the Cavs are big on making players happy in the offensive scheme, obviously not going to let him dominate the ball and like at the end of the day. But I think there's something to say, like a new start is what he needed and I think this is the right opportunity to do so. Don't know if he's tradable down the line. I think, oh, that's the other caveat, is he made the last year of his contract non-guaranteed just so he could get out of Chicago. That's how bad he wanted to get out of oh, Chicago. Yeah. So he like told the Cavs, like, listen, I will make the last year of my contract non-guaranteed if you can make this trade happen. <laughs> dropping gyms, man. We appreciate that. <laughs> no problem, but... I I like Lowry's fit. I wonder how he fits in the grand scheme of just not this season, but beyond because let's say the Cavs somehow, some way bring in like a legitimate stud at the three, like Jalen Brown is like a guy I always go back to, to say like, okay, if the Cavs could somehow swing a trade for him and they have like a big three or four of 
Garland, Brown, Mobley, Allen. Where does marketing fit in that? But that's also, I'm not a coach. That's not my problem. And so I will just study what they figure out and just try and figure it out for myself. But his fit's been a lot better than I expected. And I will fully admit and wholeheartedly admit I was wrong on being down on the trade. <laughs> I wonder fair. if um, the pathway for Laurie is that he'll kind of ingratiate himself into the role that we're seeing with Kevin Love now down the line. Because let's say Kevin right. Love lands Sounds. a contract that where the Cavs can't match just due to all the salaries. I think the best case would be for him to just ingratiate himself into that role. It's possible. And I think every one of these guys um, has shown that they have the mentality that they're mostly team first. And so mm-hmm. that would be pretty awesome for Lowry to kind of slide in and take that role. If unfortunately, you know, if Kevin Love were yeah. to <laughs> depart, uh, yeah, you know, it's been a roller coaster of emotions in regards to to Kev over the past couple of seasons. Dude, it is so weird to think that he was one of the most hated players in Cleveland. I mean, the Browns falling flat on their face helped a lot, but <laughs> yeah, he so did a full it. 180. Just him like and Jetty, locked man. in. Him and Jetty. Well, Jetty's just like such a nice guy to begin with. Like, I just don't <laughs> think you can dislike him. But like Kevin Love was clearly frustrated last season and was clearly not himself at Team USA. And it just comes in and looks completely different. And it's just been a complete revelation where I joke all the time and locked on Cavs. I'm like, he's a positive locker room guy without saying like, okay, if he gets pissy, just send him home because he's a toxic asset. <laughs> that's the other thing I was wrong on. I said, yeah, just wave Kevin Love. I thought Love they were going to do the, the, the J.R. Smith, you know, go the J.R. Smith route with him at one point. I'm not going to lie, but I, I'm glad – he didn't throw kind of soup. Out. That's that's why it didn't happen. He threw a basketball at Colin <laughs> or something. <laughs> no, he rifled one at Jetty and then I think he threw his arms up at Colin. Yeah, but. I can't remember. Yeah. I have to think though that that I mean, this is like the most obvious thing ever to say, but that that team USA experience definitely I think was like when Kevin kind of looked at himself and he's like, I'm really at like ground zero now. Like, like I've been opener. I've been like torn down like my public perception, both from fans and from well uh like well respected coaches and team USA is like now it's like I have to build myself back up. It was probably the real mm-hmm. look in the mirror moment. You would think it would have been when his tantrum in Toronto went viral for but I think it was yeah. truly then because that's yeah. when you're you should yeah. be amongst your elite and the elite don't even consider you that great anymore. Kevin Love got dragged all over the fucking place. Like everybody yeah, was dragging him and it to a degree, was warranted for some of the antics, but at the same time, I mean, I, he took it on the chin. He accepted the role, and he bought into whatever JB sold him on, and I, I appreciate him for that because it takes a big man to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've just been pleasantly surprised with what he's been able to bring to the table this season to the point where I would not mind at this point if he went ahead and retired a Cavalier, but we all know you know, this, this all comes down to simple dollars and cents in regards to him in the future yeah that's that's the tricky thing but thankfully he's under contract next season as well and then the cast can maybe figure out something from there at that point but yeah the team usa thing was just it was wild because i i was just saying this is the cast last gasp effort to kind of try and salvage some type of tradable asset for kevin love and now I wouldn't trade him because he's a positive asset off the bench. He's making so much money for a bench player, but you just ignore that elephant. Did they get any offers for him? Do you know? No, not that I know. I just know like the general vibe around him was there was a fear because he had that calf injury and it was an Achilles injury before that. And those kind of go hand in hand with one another. So if you tear one, you probably tear the other or something along the lines of that. And he didn't look great. Obviously, last season in Cleveland, uh, the frustration and on-court antics didn't help either. Neither did going on podcasting. Oh, I'd love to play with Damian Lillard and things like that. Like, he was doing a lot of just bad PR moves back to back to back. And then the Team USA stuff happened, and then you watch him in exhibitions. You're like, oh, he is either out of shape or the Achilles slash calf is a lot worse than we realized. So like my expectations were rock bottoms. Like they're going to get nothing of value from Kevin Love. Like you said, Mac, like give him the J.R. Smith experience. if he becomes like a locker room problem. But I think having Ricky there helped a lot too. I think just having like a guy who will seek you out and get you going and build offense, the momentum helps a lot too. And I think winning helps a lot, obviously. Like that's just the, 
common factor for this Cavs team. Like, I don't think the vibes would be this immaculate at times if the Cavs were winning and winning no, in no. such emphatic fashion. <laughs> um, but like you said, it does take a big man to, because he's the one who sparked the conversation with JB to say, like, listen, I should probably come off the bench, especially because, uh, you know, he saw how talented Evan Moby was in runs and scrimmages and things like that. He's like, this kid needs to be starting. So I think that puts a lot of stuff into perspective. And I'm glad he was able to kind of just speak his truth on the shop and just kind of told Jerry Colangelo to go fuck himself a couple hundred times. But, <laughs> and then I, I respect I him at media yeah. day because somebody brought it up right away and he's like, listen, I'm done talking about this. I just want to move forward. I'm focused on the Cleveland Cavaliers. And I think I didn't think about it much at the time, but now when you think about it now, like he was fully bought in because JV's his guy, like they get along, they resonate with one another. They have a really good relationship and history with each other. And now he's just such a positive locker room presence that I think him seeking out Darius on things maybe LeBron taught him, like just how to take care of your body or like how to like maximize practice or things like that. Like I think that's super beneficial. Like Delhi mentioned that to me a while ago. Like that was his job was to teach Colin and Darius. Like, listen, here's how you maximize practice. This is how you need to get on a right sleep schedule. This is how you max like take care of your body properly. Obviously. Don't spend the tens, fifteens, and millions LeBron does, but here's maybe a cheaper way to do it. But at the same time, like Kevin's fully bought in with Darius. He's really close with him off the court. He Evan Mobley said like he sought out Kevin right away to kind of teach him how to shoot properly. And like they work together a lot on that, which is super cool to see. And like you said, like I would hope he retires as a Cavalier because now it's a little frustrating because it took this long to get to this point with the contract extension to say like I think this is what the Cavs kind of wanted from the get-go when they extended him is like, okay, we need you to be like the adult in the room. We need you to be a positive presence for these younger players because we're going to try and compete. And maybe it took a few years. It took a little missteps. It took a lot of learning and soul searching and growing up on his part too. But it's fun, man. Like I'm glad he is like, he wants to be here. Like I talked to somebody in the Cavs about it. Like, I think he wants to be here. Like, I don't think he actually wants to leave, but if push came to shove, like he wasn't going to oppose it. If he takes him to a winning situation, but at the end of the day, I think winning just fixes all this. And thankfully the Cavs are a winning team this year. Yeah. It's not like also Kevin Love wasn't ever like this in Minnesota too. That's the whole reason (laughs) that he even came to Cleveland in the first place. He was just, he was more, he was just as upset in his later years of Minnesota, just, not to this extent. That is, he, that is interesting because the Timberwolves owner extended Ricky Rubio for him and it kind of came full circle yeah. this year. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> hey, at least Kev got his money. You know, that's he, true. He got man. his money. So I'll never, never discredit a player for getting the bag. Like if you're able to get top dollar, you go for it and never look back. Indeed. <laughs> yeah. Jalen Rose always famously says like, you're not getting what you're worth. You're getting what you're able to negotiate. And yep. Kevin Love was in a great negotiating seat in that circumstance. LeBron leaves the Cavs are like, we need to retain something, something that keeps the something championship that resonates caliber with the championship around. team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. With the Cleveland fan base and whatnot. That's a, I love that quote by Jalen Rose, by the way, because that is so true. Mm-hmm. All righty, Evan, I want you to take your reporter hat off. And I just want you to speak strictly from a fan perspective on this next question before we head out of here and that is Cavs have 20 games left if i'm not mistaken give me an honest record prediction heading down the stretch here sitting here at uh, what 36 and 26 i mean let me pull up their schedule to give you like an honest honest answer because i want (laughs) to not just like guesstimate and be wrong for the umpteenth time this year (laughs) so By the way, guys, I, I predicted this I earlier. Finishes, go ahead. Go ahead. I I think they finish as the fourth seed, the fourth or fifth seed, and they draw Milwaukee in first round, and it's going to be a tough series. Mm-hmm. But like, <laughs> looking down the stretch, they play Philly, Toronto. That could be a toss-up. Indian win, and then they play Miami and Chicago back-to-back, both on the road. That's tough. And then they're home against the Clippers, and then the Sixers, and then the Nuggets. That sucks. And then they play the they play Detroit. That's good. They play the <laughs> Lakers. Unexpectedly good. And then they're in Toronto, which is going to be tough. Then they're at home against Chicago. That's tough. They play Orlando. That's good. They play Dallas. That's actually really tough because of how good they are defensively. Atlanta, I think the Cavs can beat New York. I think the Cavs can beat Philly one more time, just, you know, scheduling. And then Orlando, that's easy-ish. We'll see how it goes. 
And then Brooklyn, which is a bit of a wild card if the vaccine mandates lifted and Curry's available, if Kevin Durant's available, if Ben Simmons is available, that's could be a scary game. And then Milwaukee's their last game of the season at home on Jeez, April 10th. Yeah. So like it's a tough stretch. I think March is gonna be brutal for them. But people were saying, oh, they're not gonna play the make the playoffs. I think they're eight games up on Washington, who's the eighth seed right now. I just think at this point you try to fight to avoid being in that playing tournament scenario because JB was asked about it if they didn't make the playoffs or if like they flamed out in the playoffs and it'd be disappointing. He's like, yeah, it's disappointing. I'm like, I think it'd be more disappointing if they flamed out in the play-in tournament because if you lose one, you go home. And that's like such a crappy way to end such a fun season. Just like, Would you oh, consider it a failure of a season if that situation no, did occur? Absolutely not. Because I think Jared Allen said it best. Um, this season, the expectations weren't super. Like Some fans were like, pie in the sky, super high on this team. I get it. Like that's fandom. I'm not going to tell you how to enjoy your team. That's how that's your truth, man. Do whatever you want to do. But I was low. I think a lot of people were low on this team, just given their history and just given like what they're trying to do this season. And the fact that they were fighting for the first seed in the Eastern conference for the better part of this year, and they could still kind of be in the conversation for a top seed in the East, just given on how the rest of the season breaks for them. That's a huge win in itself. And I'm more focused on the fact that this is a very young team that's getting super valuable experience. They're learning in real time how to win these games, especially tight games down the stretch. They're going to go into the playoffs, hopefully, and play a best of seven series. Like That's super, super, super valuable experience. And then you build upon all this positive momentum, and then you just keep going from there. And like you just keep going up and up and leveling up and up and like, this is such a good place for the Cavs to be in that there's only the only opportunity for them going forward is just going upwards and upwards. And like, I'm excited to see what they grow and what they do because Garland's only going to get better. Allen's only going to get better. Mobley's obviously going to get so much better. Like Sexton's hopefully going to be back and he's probably going to be better too. Okoro's going to be better. Like they have all these young, fun, exciting pieces that are learning how to win, which is like the toughest thing to do when you're like a losing team with a bunch of young players. Like he's learned how to win consistently on a night to night basis. And they're learning how to do that right now that I, yeah, I'm having fun this season, but I am just thinking ahead of like, how are they going to look next year? Like, how are they going to respond? How strong are they going to look? And I'm like, I'm feeling good about their chances. Like, yeah, Milwaukee's going to be good. Brooklyn's going to be good. Philly's going to be good. Miami's going to remain good. But like, Cleveland's going to maybe be up in that conversation. And that's really fun to think about. Yeah, I don't think this uh, Cavaliers team is going to be like what we saw with Atlanta last year, where they they not. they took they oh. that took what we everyone perceived was that next step by reaching the conference finals. And then you read at the beginning of the season that all the Hawks pe- all the Hawks players are saying like, yeah, now the regular season's just boring to us because we know what like the peaks are, and oh, obviously, like, obviously they're real bored because they're struggling in various different ways. And I don't think this Cavaliers team is wired that same way. I think the Hawks kind of had just like a confidence to them just because they got lucky with uh, two rounds in a row of certain playoffs handing or going the way that they wanted. This Cavs team, I think, is wired completely differently. And I think they'll respond well to whatever situation is thrown Mm -hmm. at them next season. That's fair. That's uh, completely fair. I'm hoping that uh, they don't have that same mindset. We'll see. See any question? six down the stretch and finish the season fifty and thirty-two. Ah, gotcha. Okay, alrighty. I, I, I had to think about the numbers and I was doing math while we were talking to in my head. Oh, like, you're good, man. Thirty-two <laughs> seems reasonable. I think that's what uh, five thirty-eight projected it to be when I when that initial report came out and everyone was flipping out about the Celtics getting yeah. like mm-hmm. the best chance of winning the finals. So. Basically, Evan's a computer was my point. Been <laughs> <laughs> hanging out with Chris Manning too much. What can I say? <laughs> oh man, uh, yeah, I I went over the top with mine as I most uh, as I mostly do. I feel like with my predictions, and I had them at I think eleven and nine down the stretch. I know that very overly optimistic, but you just never truly know heading down the stretch. Some of these games that I thought would be probably be penciled in as L's may not be like. I'm yeah. legitimately looking at this Lakers game in particular and thinking the Cavs have a really good shot at winning this game. And at the start of the season, it just didn't feel when we played them earlier on, like that was the case. 
Yeah, so it's a good it's a good recruiting pitch for LeBron too. What can I say? <laughs> as long as no one on the Cavs staff heckles him after they get into a good lead into the third quarter. Yeah, nice. I, I was I was hesitating on asking you that just because I didn't. You know, everybody has their own thoughts in regards yeah. to it. But LeBron's return, I guess, since we since we're on the topic, I'm we might as well go ahead and 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 talk about it a little bit before we get out of here. I wouldn't hate it personally as a fan. Just LeBron is the reason why I got into basketball to begin with. But I think the Jake Fisher report is interesting. I think it's funny that they said they want to add a role player like LeBron. I'm just like, <laughs> like yeah, I saw you. I mean, there's yeah. not many veterans out there that are like LeBron James. I hate to say. <laughs> I think it was more so him just putting pressure on the Lakers right now to say, like, you guys did nothing at the deadline. And I only have so many years left until my body just completely gives out. And we'll speculate on that in two years' time, and he's a free agent, and we'll see if where Bronny ends up. Because, hell, he could get drafted. But like Bronny could get drafted by the Cavs in the second round and get stashed the Cleveland Charges. come here. But the same thing could be said, like the Memphis's G League team could snatch Bronny up and like they had met LeBron for a year. <laughs> What'd you say, Corey, a few episodes ago? You hope the Kings take. <laughs> yeah, I want to see LeBron really have to go somewhere that LeBron James does not belong in his NBA career. Like a LeBron, oh. like Bronny gets goes to Orlando or Sacramento. Oklahoma City would be the most un LeBron James place to go, I think. He loves Sam Presti, though. So, you know, he put him in his fluff pieces, just being like, yeah, Sam Presti's done a great job. By the way, I know you have a lot of first round picks. Why don't you they throw my ammunition. son as one of them? They got they, ammunition. I guess that's one thing. No, yeah. he wants he wants him to take him with the highest first round pick. He's like, you got 12 of them. Why just not use Bronny with your highest one? I mean, if you want me. <laughs> Yeah, man, I guess uh, with that being said, that's a good segue to close out tonight's show. As we always tell you guys, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can at it's Cavalier underscore pod on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram and more. As we told you guys last time, we have started a exclusive It's Cavalier Discord chat. If you'd like to be added to that, please rate and review the podcast on whatever medium you are listening to and send a screenshot of it. Proof. You got to have proof, right? <laughs> to at uh, it's cavalier53 at gmail.com, and we will go ahead and add you into that chat. You guys have a good night.